Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett. They are very skilled at insinuating themselves into any organization they set their eyes on. And, in fact, insinuate the term for getting new members. The, their person that enrolled them was the one who insinuated them into the order. If you enjoy Conspiracy Unlimited, why not become a Conspiracy Unlimited Plus member? For just $1.99 per month, you'll gain access to two bonus, exclusive commercial-free episodes per month, plus access to my back catalog of episodes. To subscribe, just go to conspiracyunlimitedpodcast.com and click on Gain Access to Premium Episodes. Again, go to conspiracyunlimitedpodcast.com and click on Get access to premium episodes, or click on the link in the episode notes. Conspiracy Unlimited Plus, for less than $2 per month. Why not sign up today? Conspiracy Unlimited, with Richard Serres. Pursuing the truth wherever it leads. Exposing evil and corruption, and the secret machinations of powerful elites. Revealing the high strangeness beneath the surface of our supposed reality. Coming to you from his studio beneath the stairs, here's Richard Serrett. Tonight, the history of the Bavarian Illuminati, the rise and fall of the world's most secret society. Now, that's the name of a very, very hefty tome. It weighs in at 904 pages, including the index. And uh, writer-translator John E. Graham is here to discuss the history of the Bavarian Illuminati. Let me just crib here from the Inside the Dust Jacket. The Bavarian Order of the Illuminati is the most celebrated secret society in the world. Though officially lasting only 11 years, the powerful spell and shadow cast by the Illuminati still looms in the present day where its influence can be seen in current conspiracy beliefs and actions by powerful individuals working in the shadows. The original order of the Illuminati was founded by Bavarian professor Adam Weishaupt in 1776, although the order was banned and brought down by the Bavarian elector in 1787, when he became aware of the extent to which it had infiltrated the courts, schools, and his own administration. Its legend and deep influence lives on to this day. 
And as I say, John E. Graham here to discuss the, the history, the grades, ritual ceremonies, fundamental philosophies of the Bavarian Order of the Illuminati, the most celebrated secret society in the world, uh, though officially, again, lasting only 11 years. The powerful spell and shadow cast by the Illuminati still looms uh, to this day. John E. Graham, welcome to the program. How are you? Good, good. Thank you for having me. I'm um, thrilled to be here. Uh, great to have you. I'm just going to, for those on the uh, the live stream, I'm just going to hold this up. You can see what a magnificent uh, work this is. Again, 904 pages and uh, practically broke the uh, the UPS driver's uh, back when he brought it to my front door. Uh, uh, let me ask you, this is the only time this has ever been translated from uh, the French. The original author, René Laforestier, uh, back in 1915, wrote this, in, in, uh, and this is the only English translation. Why? Well, that's kind of a long story. I actually did it about 15 years ago for uh, an author that we published several of his books. I don't know if you're familiar with uh, Jim Wasserman, who's a member of the OTO. He's actually pretty high up, and he was very interested in this book. And he knew that I translated, so he asked if I would uh, mind helping him out. I didn't realize what a tome it was, but once I got started, I couldn't stop. <laughs> and then uh, things derailed his plans to, to do it. And then I spent a number of years trying to find the copyright holder. Now it's public domain. When uh, I finally found somebody, they just basically said, it's going to be public domain in two years, so just uh, wait till then. And here it is. But the, the author himself is uh, quite interesting. He also uh, wrote on the Martinist, the Electco, and a number of uh, uh occult societies and this all right I know, there's there's nothing comparable to this book in any language that i know of no no so tell us about the first gathering of uh, this group they called themselves originally the perfectibilists right um, that didn't last doesn't long, have a, was... a great doesn't really fall off the tongue like the illuminati but uh, this first gathering may 1st 1776 in ingolstadt bavaria set the scene for us well, Adam Weishaupt was a professor at Ingolstadt, and at that time, they were still controlled by the Jesuits, who had made no secret of finding him an interloper and wanting no part of him. So his, his early time there set the stage for him to find allies, and he felt that in order to combat the oppressive system of the Jesuits, he needed to have people to work with in secret. So he started canvassing likely students and friends, and together they put together a society. I don't know if you've noticed, but they all took on pseudonyms, mostly from uh, classical Greek and Roman history. Yeah, Adam uh, was Spartacus. Spartacus, which is basically a perfect name for what he, how he viewed himself as leading a revolt of, of uh, slaves against monarchy, the, the, the oppressive power of the church, the oppressive power of the monarchy, and to give 
basically to give human beings self-determination. But uh, that was a double-edged sword because at the same time he felt that he had to manipulate people into fully devoting their energies to, to his noble, noble plan. Right. He wanted man to be happy and to be free, but before they could be happy and free, they had to be good. And as you right. say, sometimes, you, you know, he believed that you, you, you may have to manipulate people and trick them uh, in, into being good. And you mentioned the Jesuits, and I guess he was taught uh, by Jesuits. Yeah. And he, it was kind of a love-hate thing with them, right? I mean, he, in, in, in some ways, he mocked them, but in other ways, he really mirrored the order uh, of the Illuminati on their structure, right? Didn't he sort of, uh, as grandmaster, wasn't he, uh, what was the, the head of the Jesuits, the superior general or the general superior? Didn't he sort of, sort of mirror well, the he, structure he, yeah, of the, of the Jesuits as, with the Illuminati? Yeah, exactly. And, and there was a lot of the, uh, a lot of practices that he took from the Jesuits and tried to steer to, more benevolent ends, and you know, part of, it's part of the uh, the context is that Bavaria, unlike the rest of what would become Germany in the next century, was still rather backwards and conservative, and it had been the the seat of the Counter Reformation to oppose uh, Luther Luther and the other Protestant sects that had. Uh, gained ascendancy all throughout uh, not just Germany but Bohemia and so on. But Bavaria remained uh, a, basically kind of like North Korea. <laughs> uh, the hermit kingdom. sealed off to any non-Catholic influence and the Jesuits uh, had a domination there that was similar to what they had in Paraguay in certain Latin American areas. And right, and if we, we the Jesuits were this secret society within the Catholic Church, uh, who who would uh, do anything, fair or foul, in order to beat the enemies of the Church, and that would include assassination, conspiracy plots. I mean, Shakespeare wrote about the Jesuits. Um, yeah, Jesuit became a uh, a metaphor uh, for for. Uh, Untoward actions in the, on in, on behalf of the greater good, but the greater good was what they defined it, not what other people might conceive of as the greater good. Right, and like the Templars before them, they they also using their position, they amassed tremendous wealth, mm -hmm. uh, and I guess in a sense also like the Templars became a bit of a threat. So Pope Clement the Fourteenth, he abolished them in. Well, it was just a few years before the uh, the formation of the Illuminati. So, did did when they were abolished, uh, did Adam Weishaupt see that as an opportunity? Is was did he did he say to himself, Ah, now is the time that the the uh, the uh, Jesuits have been abolished. I, I'll take everything from them and, and create my own version. Well, what he was doing was actually because the Jesuits still were. I mean, the confessor for the elector of Bavaria, even though he was rather liberal compared to his predecessors, was a Jesuit. And he played a big part in the downfall of the order when, it, when they finally were revealed. But 
basically, I think the Jesuits were kind of the the. I mean, there are historians that think the Illuminati's only existed Weishaupt to 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 carry out Weishaupt's ambition to totally destroy the Jesuits, but there was more to it than that. Uh, he was really it was really uh, a society that drew on all the Enlightenment ideas that were uh, percolating throughout Europe at that time, and even in the United States. Uh, Thomas Jefferson actually wrote about Weishaupt. He heard about him after the fact and found him quite a sympathetic character based on what he could read of him, which was his, uh, his philosophical moral views. Johnny Graham is uh, with us, a writer, translator, and uh, the book is The Bavarian Illuminati, The Rise and Fall of the World's Most Secret Society, uh, originally written by René Laforestier in 1915 and again translated uh, by John E. Graham. Let me just go back uh, and pick up on some sort of basic points here regarding uh, the formation of the Illuminati. May 1st, 1776. May 1st, that's kind of a significant uh, a date in terms of, I guess, uh, the, you know, the occult. Tell me, did was that deliberate May 1st? I mean, that's an old... Um, um, Ancient Fertility Festival, the day before is, was it Walpurgis, Walpurgis Night, <laughs> which is kind of linked, which is kind of linked with the occult. Was that, was that deliberate on his part? It may have been, but uh, he himself was, was a, a rationalist, but he saw the effect that uh, occult philosophies, hermetic traditions were having in the Masonic milieu. So he would take, he would take elements from things that he thought would further his own purpose. But at the and, same time, he was, you know, the Illuminati were at odds with the Rosicrucians and a number of other societies that they derided as superstitious. But, uh, you know, you're never really sure of just where Weishaupt stood because he was so deft at taking things from other systems and re and integrating them into the Illuminati system. And of course, we're all familiar with the symbol, the dot uh, in a circle, the all seeing eye, which is not, mm -hmm. you know, it's not uh, the, the, the Christian or the Jewish uh, or the Muslim God. It's uh, this mysterious unknown superior, I guess. Right. Uh, the other symbol is the owl of Minerva. That's the owl of uh, Athena, Athens, right? Right. And that's, you know, that they took their, the name of this, the second grade in the Illuminati order was the Minerval grade, based on Minerva. And, you know, the motto was that they bring light to the blind. They make the blind see. So, as you say, the, I mean, the, the ambition, you know, to make men free and happy, but first to have to make them good, it, that sounds rather benevolent. But he did envision world revolution, right? And installing this new world order that would require, he wanted to annihilate all governments. He wanted to destroy all organized religion, including Christianity. Did he talk about the use of violence to that end specifically, if necessary? Well, there again, you know, he was very careful to not do that. And a lot of their efforts were actually 
trying to network so as to get their people placed through in strategic areas throughout Bavaria. And as you know, the order grew, they actually had lodges throughout Germany. And in Bavaria itself, they were in the courts. They were sometimes hired by aristocrats knowingly, sometimes unknowingly. But in the, the Kibis Lisa, which is the monthly report that the Illuminati were supposed to hand in to their superiors and just detail everything they've been doing, everything in their profane life was supposed to be for the good of the order. So anybody that heard of a job opening somewhere, anything like that, the superiors would look at that. Can we get somebody here? Can we put somebody in this teaching position? Because we're going to take over the Jesuit. We're going to get rid of the Jesuit educational system. So there will still be priests, but there will be good priests that are those that we've trained. Another aim is of the of the Illuminati was liberation from all social, moral, religious restraint and absolute equality. What does that mean, do you think? What did he mean by liberation from all social, moral, and religious restraint? Well, again, I think... You know, his his thinking was shaped by the Jesuits. So he was, and in Bavaria, it was a society that was completely under the domination where, you know, books were, you could go to jail for any certain books, things like that. So it wasn't like Abby Hoffman or Jerry Roos, you know, revolution for the hell of it. There was still a solid... Uh, moral code based on his philosophy. In fact, they go back, they, a lot of their ideas go back to ancient Greece and Rome. And uh, I believe his Lieutenant Zwack was his real name, but his Illuminati name was Cato, and I believe that's Cato the Younger, who was one of Caesar's biggest opponents. So like Spartacus for Adam Weishaupt, many of them took names of people that were uh, fighting against the established order. And I don't think it was like a complete free-for-all. He had very definite plans for how societies should be structured. And you can see that in the, in the order itself. It's very, very rigorous. It's a very defined progression from novice through mineral into higher grades. So it's, it's not, uh, you know, the anarchic aspect that he's going up, but he's trying to, like, to remove the fetters that are preventing people from perfecting themselves as their own individuals. Uh, okay, so for the masses, it would be atheism. Um, what about for the uh, the Illuminists, the 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 elites that would would uh, run this? Were they did they have their own set of rules? Were they considered infallible? Uh, the way the society was set up, you couldn't argue with them. They knew better than you, and you know, and it, it was basically an educational venture. I mean, the the reading lists that they gave out. I mean the I don't, I don't the average person would have just been reading and writing 24-7 to keep up 
with all the demands. You had to, when you first started, you had to do a radical self-assessment and share all your flaws with the person that had initiated you into the society at a, on a uh, trial basis. Plus, you were given a huge reading list, mostly classics, but also uh, various Enlightenment thinkers that were not uh, tolerated in the Bavaria of that era. And in terms of re- then you had oh, to write. Uh, sorry, the, go ahead, John. The, the, you had to write your observations of your fellow novices, unbeknownst to them, though. So everybody was like being trained to. He was like training people to to understand human psychology, but it was also there was a it was a heavy uh, surveillance aspect to it as well. We're coming up on a break here. We just got about a minute and a half. I just uh, I want to lay sort of the groundwork for the next segment. I want to talk about the those that the the, the Illuminati sort of targeted for recruitment because uh, although uh, he didn't have much time for organized religion, it, it, it seemed like he, he did kind of relish recruiting, you know, Calvinists and Lutherans and, and others and being able to manipulate them in a certain way. I think he said something like, you know, he, he took great delight in the fact that these Calvinists and, and these other clerics actually s- thought that they saw in the the order the, the sort of the essence of Christianity. Just you want to mm-hmm. just make a, a quick comment on that and then we'll come back and, and drill down yeah, further. There, there's, I mean he was a his his profession he was a professor of Canaan law, which is church law, ecclesiastical matters. And he had a lot of connections with church people and the uh, there was a fairly stark difference at that time between the Catholicism of Bavaria with the more open, enlightened Christianity of Prussia and the Palatinate and all these other areas outside. So he was he was finding people that were open to to they they wanted more freedom of expression. And All right, we'll uh, we'll take a quick time out, John. Come back, John E. Graham has translated René Laforcier's The Bavarian Illuminati, The Rise and Fall of the World's Most Secret Society, back with more of our conversation right after these. It's time to try the tea everyone's talking about. Nothing does what Life Change Tea does. They have no competition. Life Change Tea helps support a healthy body. It tastes great and leaves you feeling refreshed every day. I can't get enough of my pomegranate super tea. I brew two gallons at a time and let it steep in the fridge overnight, enough to last me the entire week. And every morning I have a 16 ounce glass of this amazing GMO non-caffeinated herbal tea. It keeps me regular by providing a gentle cleanse every day. I'm never gassy or bloated, and good health begins with a healthy gut. This pomegranate super tea is not available in any store. You need to go to getthetea.com. Go to getthetea.com. Use the code UNLIMITED, and all your orders ship for free. All of them. It's time to get your tea from getthetea.com. The truth goes through three stages. First, it is ridiculed. 
Then it is violently opposed. Finally, it is accepted as self-evident. Let me just read that again. I don't know what that means. Conspiracy Unlimited with Richard Serrett. Award-winning translator John E. Graham joins us, and he has translated Rene Laforestier's The Bavarian Illuminati, The Rise and Fall of the World's Most Secret Society. For the very first time, uh, this is now available in English, 904 pages. It is a massive book. Um, so we were talking about Weishaupt's recruitment strategy, mm-hmm. I guess, and we were talking about clerics. But he also talked about uh, infiltrating schools. Uh, the other thing that jumped out at me is that he that he, he 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 thought that women would be a very effective strategy to convince the men. So if he could get the women on side, that might convince the men to come on board. And so, so he kind of hinted at a certain emancipation for women. No, that's um, true. Go ahead. Yeah, it was a, and that was part of the uh, one of the many accusations lodged against him is that he was uh, uh, trying to prostitute women, good German, well, uh, good women, and dist- distract them from their duties by filling their heads with an education that they weren't uh, capable of understanding, all the usual uh, conservative or monarch, you know, the, the conservative disdain for women are evident in the charges that were uh, part of those that the Illuminati faced once they were exposed. Right. In other words, he would he would hint at a certain emancipation for women to to. There's a bit of trickery involved here because he still envisioned a very patriarchal society, right? Yeah, I think you know, in the context of the time, it's hard for somebody to be to totally see equality that is so radically different from the assumed knowledge of their time. And, you know, what he was doing was making steps and saying that, you know, women could be educated and being equals to men. But, you know, there was, he didn't put a lot of energy into it. But what he did, what was said, was enough to uh, excite the fears of, you know, later the Abbey Baruel and others that uh, began seeing Illuminati in, in every uprising and action against the state or the church. So another another uh, great uh, fertile soil for recruitment uh, were, were literary societies and libraries. And we can sort of think of, I guess, literary societies and libraries because they were churning out all sorts of information as kind of the internet of the day. So he wanted the Illuminati to sort of to monitor everything that was in print he, there's an interesting mm-hmm. quote from him. Uh, he says, if a writer publishes anything that attracts notice but does not accord with our plan, we must endeavor to win him over or decry him. Uh, so decry him. Uh, discredit, slander. Yep. I mean, how far they were they willing to go? To, if, if a popular author couldn't be won over, then they would then work to sully their reputation 
to ensure that their views didn't run counter to what their grand plans were. Uh, why did he choose to infiltrate Freemasonry? Well, it was a he had a he. It was actually a moral quandary for him at first. He was initially planning to join the Masons, and then was disappointed when he saw it was all. What when he got a hold of uh, books and saw that everything was there in print, so it wasn't really secret. And he, he thought, well, this is. I'll just do my own society because it's important that it has to be a secret society. You can't get any real work done if everything is open to the misunderstanding of the public and the authorities. But then, as time went on, he was convinced by some of the other members of the Aeropagus, which is the the governing board of the Illuminati, which is, again, a Greek term. It's like the Hill of Ares. There was the Aeropagite Council of Ancient Athens. So, again, he's, they're using classical Greece as a kind of template for what they're trying to do to, to, to dispel the darkness of Catholic Bavaria. They were looking for the light from Greece. So, he had many misgivings, but then once he realized that they could become members of a lodge and then just take it over and it would become a ready source of recruits, it made perfect sense for him. So it was, so a, just, it was a great vehicle would, for rapid expansion, I guess. Yeah. Well, that's always the, the thing about secret societies is that there's a there's a kind of disconnect between their need to grow and the and the mission they're trying to perform, because the mission will often be subsumed by the need to expand. Uh, true or false, uh, John, that Weishaupt yeah. and and the order. Um, advocated for kind of an abolition of ordinary morality. In other words, uh, if, if something was done on the command of superiors or for the good of the order, it was allowed. That would include things like poisoning, assassination, perjury, treason, rebellion. Those wouldn't be crimes if they were done on the command of a superior or they were done for the good of the order. Well, I think the way he said it is that the crimes of the order are lesser in scale uh, than the good deeds of Pharisees and, and other representatives of the existing order because of the ultimate, you know, the end justifies the means. But a lot of, a lot of the... Uh, uh, more sensational things about poisoning and all were partly from their detractors. I mean, I don't think there was any evidence that 
vice hop that engineered any assassinations. It's a, I mean, they were on a remarkable growth spurt until they were outed. And I don't think yes. they've reached a point where they were feeling that, I mean, they felt pretty confident that their star was on the rise and nothing could stop it. How, how quickly did they grow? Uh, from the original five that met in Ingolstadt, um, in that 11-year period, how quickly did they grow? Do we have a handle on how many numbers there were? Well, there were quite a few. And, you know, they, they Ingolstadt was the center, but Munich, which was known as Athens to them, was the major uh, center for Illuminati activity. But they moved into Ravensburg and Friesing. And then uh, over the years, they, they had quite a few uh, fairly famous members in the Frankfurt Lodge and other lodges that they, they had started outside of their traditional area of influence. You know, Goethe was a member, though he didn't really contribute much, and the philosopher Herder. There were quite a few surprising names in there, but you know, they were actually members, but how much they actually contributed or were part of the the Aeropagus, the Aeropaga Council is, is not known. It, it, it's also been suggested that Weishaupt was, I mean, although he advocated, you know, secrecy, conspiracy, the great strength of our order lies in its concealment and so forth, that maybe he was the one that kind of blew the whistle on the existence of the Illuminati, uh, kind of as a a publicity stunt in order to, uh, it's almost like forbidden fruit, in order to, you know, to make it better well, better known. Any truth to that, do you think? Well, it's it's more complicated than that. Uh, Weishaupt was rather arrogant, and one of the later members had his feelings hurt. So he took a lot of private documents and uh, took them not to the elector, because he really didn't mind. He wasn't. I guess it was the elector called Theodore at that time, but his cousin, who should have been the wife of the uh, his, he he took over when the earlier elector died. But the Dowager Duchess Maria Anna was still around, and this. Disgruntled Illuminati member went to her with all sorts of things, and he had connections with her. In fact, Weishaupt had been upset with him because he was supposed to steal compromising letters from her. That was another thing that the Illuminati were looking to do: is to find to get people in in positions with people of power so that they could get copies or steal incriminating documents so that they would have the ability to blackmail them or control them. So he went to her with all this stuff, and she completely flipped out and went to tell her cousin, who thought it was was nothing, and he had no problems. He had apparently been a secret Freemason, which was not 
uh, kosher in Bavarian society. So he poo-pooed the whole thing until something else got to him where he, he realized that this was a possible danger to his own existence. So he just wrote an edict banning all secret societies, all groups whatsoever. And then Adam Weishaupt decided, well, our intentions are pure. We, we have the best in mind for humanity. So he's still, without revealing his identity, started making overtures and saying that, you know, we were here, we're, we're supporting the liberal aspects of your rule. We're trying to help you liberate Bavaria from the oppression of superstition and so on and so forth. What, were the, what was the greatest challenge in putting this together? Oh, that's a good one. Uh, well, it's just the, the sheer length. And then there's a lot of uh, Latin and classical allusions. So I was like just digging through and trying to find the what the influences were to know more about why they were choosing the names they did. The author um, didn't feel the need to do that at the time because, you know, education and, and the turn of that century was still Latin and Greek were still part of the general education. But uh, so there was a lot of extra work just to give modern readers uh, guidance and context. Uh, in the On the dust cover, it says here inside the dust cover, many of the documents the author consulted for the writing of this book were destroyed during the two world wars, making this book the only surviving record of many of the order's secrets. Uh, when it says the author, is that referring to you or, or Rene Laforestier? Oh, I guess it would have uh, to be Rene you because Forestier yeah, wrote this they, in 1915. Uh, so yeah, what documents were destroyed? Well, there was, you know, the carpet bombing of, of many German cities took out some of that. I don't know if the Munich archive survived or not. Uh, but, you know, the lodge records in Hanover and Frankfurt, places like that, that he was able to consult were no longer there. I mean, the, the loss of uh, historical records in the bombing of Germany was just incalculable because, you know, everybody looks at the Nazis as for their... Uh, as murderers, but they were also looters. They looted all of Europe, and yes. the train yards in uh, Frankfurt were just filled with treasures from uh, monasteries and synagogues and so on and so forth all over Europe that they hadn't quite sorted out yet. So, yeah, a lot of stuff went up in, in smoke and ash. Do you think uh, that Weishaupt is a, a sympathetic character? Uh, he's a he's a complex character. I don't think he's totally uh, he's arrogant and vain, and he was you know he his whole relationship 
with people would go from infatuation to disdain. And a lot of uh, his history at Ingolstadt at the university there was kind of repeated in the order as a whole. And if he hadn't been so arrogant, chances are that uh, Schneider would never have gone to the Dowager Duchess with all the incriminating papers. You know, and as he told her, you know, that he described it as an extremely dangerous Masonic society that cloaking itself in morality and love of humanity was seeking to expel from the hearts of the young their attachment to the sovereign and their country. They declared patriotism a puerile chimera that was harmful to humanity and religion pure, pure foolishness. These Freemasons, held as a principle that the ends justified the means, demanded blind obedience of their superiors' orders, and educated the brothers to study each other reciprocally and reveal their defects and passions to the society. They professed that their adherents had acted out of passion and not by reason, that suicide was permissible, and awarded itself at least tacitly the right of life or death over the members of their society. So, you know, this is this is basically the template for most secret societies that followed. The, the, the Masonic scholar Manly P. Hall, he claimed that the Illuminati were really just a fragment of a larger movement. In other words, they they um, they weren't the whole story. They were simply a chapter. I mean, there 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 were other societies that kind of refer to themselves as the Illuminists. I think there was there was one in Afghanistan. Uh, there was one in Spain. Uh, I think you mentioned the Romans. What do you think about Manly Paul's assertion? Oh, I think it's uh, definitely worth considering. Uh, Nothing that the author consulted revealed any of these any ties of that nature, but you know the the you know what they call the golden thread of you know the hermetic philosophy really does travel through the centuries unbroken uh, you know one of the rival groups that the Illuminati was competing for members with was the Strict Observance, which considered itself as uh, direct descendants of the Knights Templar. And while it's been historically convenient to claim that the Templars were wiped out by Philip the Fair and they just, you know, stepped off you know, the game board of history, there's a lot of evidence to show that they probably ended up in Scotland. And it is known that the Portuguese Templars just changed their name and kept going on as they always had. But, you know, the the Masonic connection with the Knights Templar is historically accurate. All the Masons of... 14th, 13th, 14th century Paris lived in the Templar jurisdiction, which the King of France didn't have jurisdiction over that. It was the Masons. I mean, not the Masons, it was the Templars controlled that, and con- consultation of uh, 
a Masonic scholar, historian, consulted all the church records and saw that all the Masons of Paris were living there. And when the hammer fell on the Templars, they became, they pretended to be Masons in order to escape. And the thing about Masons that makes this plausible is that Masons could travel wherever they wanted. They didn't need traveling papers because building projects were all over Europe. Churches were being built all over Europe. So if you were a Mason and you had the tools of the trade, you didn't need to have permission to go to go, go into a city or go out of a city. So it's like a special visa to me that the Masons mm-hmm. did have a direct connection with the Knights Templar. So they only lasted 11 years officially. How did they run foul of, um, was it Carl Theodore of Bavaria that banned them? Yeah, yeah he's, he banned them. And then as they, uh, as they argued their case, he became more intransigent. And at one point, uh, Weishaupt decided that it was too dangerous to have all the orders, records and things in Bavaria. So he sent them to another uh, Illuminati member who was an aristocrat in Nuvid, Germany. And he was given the honorific as the Supreme General of the Order. And as the Illuminati were exposed as be of having infiltrated all levels of of uh, the Bavarian bureaucracy, the courts, the schools, noblemen's entourages, the the threats of the the, the accusations that they were poisoners and offering women abortions and anti-patriots were met by the encouraged by his Jesuit confessor Carl Theodore allowed the police to start uh, arresting the the, uh, Illuminati members that were still in Bavaria and not letting them work, things like that. Right. And um, they were banned, in, I think, originally in 1785, and then again in 1787, and, and then again in 1790. So, I mean, the pattern here is that this this uh, suppression obviously wasn't entirely successful. It wasn't easy, not particularly thorough. Um, right. So no, when, when we say they only... Sorry, go ahead. We're in the... that, Like the Count of Zweibrucken was not going to fire his personal secretary because the elector was accusing him of being an Illuminati member. So Right. So uh, yeah, nineteen eighty eight uh, seventeen eighty five there's like a lot of uh, legal actions against them. And Weishaupt went into exile, 
And apparently they tried right. to trick him into coming back into Bavaria several times, but so they could arrest him. But he was yeah, too. He, he went to Gotha, I guess, that. nearby Gotha, where he was protected by the Prince of Gotha, who was an Illuminist, yeah. right? Yep. He had he had friends in high places, in other words. Well, you know that that's one of the things, and you know the the Masons when you know it's uh, what year I think it was after the Enclosure Act were set in England, there was also a ban of all secret societies except for the Masons in England. And I believe that's because it was such a, all the highest members of society, all the aristocrats and noblemen were members of the Masons. But all other secret societies were, were banned around and out of fear of the, you know, the French Revolution and the, uh, the uh, accusations of certain people like Abbe Baruel, Baruel to that the Illuminati were at work, the puppet masters pulling the strings. I do want to uh, come back to that maybe in the second hour, but just as we roll into the top of the hour here before we break. Uh, so even though they officially were around for 11 years and we know that Adam Weishaupt uh, live to write and and perhaps scheme until well into his 80s. Is mm-hmm. is there any reason to believe that the the Illuminati uh, ceased to exist after 11 years? Well, this is what you know. Forestier believes that the uh, the the members of the Illuminati in Germany were all they all went to ground those that escaped uh, legal action decided that hiding was the best solution and no records of them working together were were available or have been found but it's, is it possible that they simply infiltrated some other organization? They moved on, and the names changed. But well, it's certainly it's certainly a possibility because you can see through their through the history as portrayed in this book, they were very skilled at insinuating themselves into any organization they set their eyes on, and in fact, insinuate the 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 term for getting. New members, the the their the person that enrolled them was the one who insinuated them into the order. A new conspiracy unlimited with Richard Serrett drops every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at conspiracyunlimitedpodcast.com. Blow your mind. That is all for now. Oh, and remember to share and give a five-star review because we have huge egos and need love. We're like cats. We need... We need constant petting.